Uh, the first reading today is on page five of your order of service. It's from Psalm number 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And the second reading is from Acts chapter 18. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervour and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate proving from the scripture that Jesus was the Messiah. And the third reading is from Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there would be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Thank you for uh, allowing me to be a bit late. Did, did Andy say what happened? No, he's kept... Okay. I got under uh, 9.15 to preside over the Lord's Supper because in our Anglican system you've got to be a reverend to provide, preside over the Lord's Supper and I'm a reverend, so I got in there to preside over the Lord's Supper and uh, right before I get to the bit you're that I have to say, according to Anglican rules, right before the bit that I have to say, a woman fell over and um, she's being tended to and an ambulance is coming and she seems fine. But it was one of those moments where we came back down after we found out the woman was okay. I then go to my lay assistant and go, are you happy to say the words that Anglicans don't let you say? <laughs> anyway, we stumbled through. So I'm here. Good to have you here. Shall I pray? And then we'll look at text together. 
Father, Jesus said uh, that he came to seek and save the lost, and he said that at a meal. May we join in the mission, the task of mission to our lost world, as we share not only the gospel, but our lives as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, the fourth habit in the series, the fourth habit to shape the heart, namely to share the table. And when you do share the table, it is, your heart gets changed over time. But more importantly, so does the heart of the lost that you share your table with. So the four habits uh, that are there in your orders of service are daily Bible reading, regular and sustained prayer, even throughout the day, your presence at church, and your gracious witness to others. In other words, the habits are to hear his voice, to have his ear, to be at the table, your presence counts, and to share the table. And next week we start a series in Daniel called Mondays in Babylon. Mondays in Babylon. But this morning it's the fourth habit to shape the heart, and that is to share the table. Have you ever noticed in the Gospels just how many missional opportunities are attached to meals? Have you noticed that Jesus was at a meal when he told those two stories of the lost sheep and the lost coin and then the prodigal son? So he was at a meal when he said, I tell you there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 who don't think they need to repent. He was at a meal in Zacchaeus' home in Luke 19 when he said, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham, which is a surprise, this morally ugly man. For, Jesus said, the Son of Man keep, came to seek and save the lost. You'll notice that Jesus sends out 72 on mission, disciples on mission, and he sends them to homes. That's what Luke 10 says. When you enter a home, first say, peace to this house, stay there, interacting with the guests, eating, drinking, whatever they give you. There's something about the home that's important to Jesus. Robert Karras wrote in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal, including, of course, the Last Supper. I had a mentor called David Miles, and he said to Laurel and I when we got married, he said, you could change the world just by having people over for dinner. I'll never forget him saying that. So do not underestimate the power of hospitality in mission. I read recently that most Sydney-siders will have people over to their home only a few times a year. Most people don't have people over for dinner. Now, I get it. Some of us don't have homes or our home situation is complex, or you find it hard, age is a, a genuine reason. Introversion, extroversion, some don't have the gift, perhaps. But I think, in many ways, we just have to be a little bit more deliberate about kindness, and also creative about what it means to share lives. Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle reflected on Luke 14, verse 6. He wrote, A man prepared a great banquet and invited many guests. While Ryle went on, this is the gospel. God has invited you to his table. You can sit down, if I can put it that way, with God by faith. You can know God. And then to share his table. 
in the end, this sermon's about spiritual formation. How is faith formed? Good question, isn't it? How is faith grown and over a lifetime? How do you grow as disciples of Jesus? And if you wanted someone to become a follower of Jesus, how would you do it? How is that faith formed in the heart? Well, you need to ask, of course, how does a human grow? How does a child grow? How does a child form? How is a child's heart formed? And the answer is by sharing a table, by common life, your presence shared over time in relationship, in community, with good habits being taught. And over time, I think faith formation is simpler than we think So, three questions this morning that are on your outline on pages seven and eight of your orders of service. What is a disciple, firstly? Secondly, what stops us from being a disciple, especially a disciple who makes disciples? And thirdly, how do you share the table? So, firstly, what is a disciple? Well, a disciple is a person found at the table of Jesus. What do I mean? In Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, it's the tax collectors and the sinners, the morally ugly people, who are gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the sort of good people, um, they muttered, uh, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. It's the religious leaders who are muttering that Jesus shares his table with the worst kind, but these people are becoming Christians. They know they're sinners. They're amazed that God appears to be embracing them, that, that they're being sought after by God, and that Jesus is offering forgiveness and a path through sin. You might not get a better description of being a Christian than the words of John Newton, although my memory is fading... I remember two things clearly. One, I'm a great sinner. Two, Christ is a great saviour. That requires humility. As I said before, Jesus said of the morally ugly and little Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. Jesus is eating with him when he says that, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, he said to Zacchaeus, came to seek and save the lost. That's you, Zacchaeus. But we also discover that the way that mission then goes, the way the history of Christianity goes, is that saved sinners seek saved sinners. Say that ten times. Saved sinners seek saved sinners. A disciple is a person who shares the table of Jesus, but we want to be disciples who make disciples. In other words, we want to share the table that we're sitting at. We don't want to keep the gospel, the message, to ourselves. We want to share the gospel. That's why Jesus' final words to his disciples were, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. I was listening to a minister from the southwest of Sydney speak last week, and he said, down here no one gets the word disciple. It's a meaningless word for them. But they get the word apprentice. And that's what we become when we become a Christian we become an apprentice of Jesus. It's not simply that we get Christian ethics or adopt Christian values. 
He pointed out that to be an apprentice, you need to have four things. You need a master to emulate, like a, a master carpenter, or you'll need prac work, prac work. You'll need to get your hands doing the things that your master teaches you to do. You need to do things with your master. You'll also need book work. You'll need to study, and you'll need reflection, feedback over time as you do and as you study. But an apprentice will always want to become, if I can put it this way, like the master, with their own spin and gifting. But in many ways, the purpose of an apprenticeship is to, for a master to teach a student how it's done. A disciple is an apprentice who wants to become more like the master, like Jesus. So she admits she needs a saviour. He yields, he submits himself to the apprenticeship, to the to the master, she decides that she wants to be like her saviour who came to seek and save the lost. So I want to share the table. That's first. Second, what stops us from being a disciple? I love what Psalm 33 says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together or live together in unity. There's something so compelling about functioning healthy community how good and pleasant it is when we're at the table and share the table but there are things that stop us fear not printed here fear stops us what if people found out that i was a genuine follower of jesus what if they hate christians and some of the things they stand for not uncommon in our in our era, superficiality stops us. You would know, like the idea, but we're not going deep. We spread ourselves a mile wide, but we find ourselves spiritually an inch deep. And when I meet people, I find it hard to go past small talk. I mean, the cricket's not small, small talk, you know, but maybe that's as far as I get. Time stops us. You know, when you're done with all the work, and work itself is enormously difficult for many, for many of us. When you're thinking about the mortgage, the pressures, then you only have enough time really for, for the family. Even, even that seems thin. Even that seems like it's done only in the very edges of life. Responsibility stops us. We don't know if we're the right people to be on mission, to share the table. And can I add another thing into my life, another responsibility? That of being a disciple who makes disciples. I've got enough on my plate. Energy stops us, or rather lack of energy. Who here doesn't feel flat a lot of the time? And models. Who are the models? Perhaps there are a lack of models. Who does this well? And what do they know that I don't know? What can I learn from them that I don't currently have? Tim Chester, a, a a minister in the United Kingdom said this, he said, Christians often complain that they lack time for mission, but he writes, we all have to eat. Three meals a day, seven days a week, that's 21 opportunities for mission and community without adding anything to your schedule. Now, I read that thinking, that guy must be an extrovert. But apparently he's not, I know somebody knows him, he's an introvert, but he gets past it. He goes on, you could invite your neighbours over for a meal, 
better still invite them over with another family from church. That way you get to do mission and community at the same time. Plus your neighbours who don't yet believe will get to see the way the gospel impacts our relationships as Christians. You could invite someone who lives alone to share your family meal and follow up with board games. We're doing exploding kittens at the moment. Giving your children an opportunity to serve others through their welcome. I was at a four-year-old birthday party, our daughters, uh, friends from the kindergarten union, and I met two Americans there, and I'm like, you know what, I've got plenty of Americans in our congregations here in the parish of Churchill. I wonder if down at the Garrison Church we could just have a Thanksgiving dinner at the same time as Thanksgiving in the United States. And these two American guys are like, yes, let's do it. So the emails are exchanged. The dates have to be put down in place. Alpha is a meal. <laughs> That's why we're doing Alpha, and it's why it's starting on Wednesday evening, and then a few weeks' time, Wednesday at lunchtime. It's a meal. The City Care Lunch is a meal. We share with the homeless six times a year, developing friendships. Francis Schaeffer, the great Francis Schaeffer, wrote this about mission. He said, don't, you don't have to start with a big program. Don't suddenly think you can add to your church budget and begin. Start personally and start in your home. I dare you, he writes, I dare you in the name of Jesus. Do what I am going to suggest. Begin by opening your home for community. You don't need a big program. You don't have to convince your parish council. All you have to do is open your home and begin. And there's no place in God's world where there are no people who will come and share a home as long as it's a real home. Don't let this stop you, this sense of mission and hospitality. So thirdly and finally, how do you share the table? I dearly love the story of Priscilla and Aquila, not least of which because their names rhyme. They hear this fellow, Apollos, speaking, learned, eloquent, who knows his Old Testament back to front. He also knows and can teach about Jesus Christ. But you get a sense from him, because he only knows the baptism of John, that he really does know how to eloquently say, repent and be forgiven. But there's more to know about the grace of God. And how does he know it? How does he find out about it? Well, Priscilla and Aquila heard him, and they invited him into their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. They had him over for dinner to fill him in on the gospel. And then this hospitality shown in that moment is then scaled to use a parlance of our times. Apollos wanted to go to Achaia and the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him into their homes. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, brackets, there's no other way to believe. And it resulted in more mission. For Apollos vigorously refuted his opponents in public debate, proving to the Jewish people there uh, from their own scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah, their Messiah, the world's Messiah. One writer said this, at base, hospitality is about providing a space for God's spirit to move, setting a table, cooking a meal, washing the dishes, is the ministry of facilitation, providing a context in which people feel loved and welcome and where God's spirit can be at work in their lives. Hospitality is a very ordinary business, but in its ordinariness 
is its real worth. If you want to be an evangelist in the way of hospitality, then first we need to be non-anxious. We need to have a non-anxious presence about our belief in God. I think a lot of evangelism is anxious. You feel like the stakes are high. And I think that's true for a couple of reasons. One is that many of us want to affect an outcome and to affect it quickly. We want people to believe. We sense the, um, the divide, in one sense, um, of, of the thing we're saying, and we perhaps put pressure on ourselves and think, maybe if I say the right thing, it'll press the right lever and get the right outcome. It's not going to work that way, but I wonder if some of us think that way, and that's part of the reason why we enter some dialogue anxiously. The second is that many of us are afraid that we won't be a good witness. We're like, But I love what the Apostle Peter said. He said, all you have to do is, in your heart, set apart Christ as Messiah. In other words, go about your day always knowing that there's a Messiah above you and in you. And if you do that, over time, I suspect what Peter is saying is, you'll be prepared and you'll prepare yourself to be able to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this, Peter says, with gentleness and respect. That means you have to locate what hope you have. You have to know what it is, why you have it, and then be prepared to share it. In the strategic planning and in the staff retreat, we realize that we need more training in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in a non-anxious way. I love how it will involve, secondly, invitation. The beauty of sharing the table as a mode for mission is that it has, by nature, invitation, which is always grace. By, by definition, it's grace. You're inviting someone into your life. You're inviting someone for coffee. Therefore, it's about, thirdly, hospitality. In Romans 12, the Apostle Paul encourages the church to practice hospitality. And you can read some of the early descriptions of the early church, and one of the things the early church was known for was that they practiced hospitality. There's one writer who says of the early Christians that they shared their board, but not their bed. Fascinating, because the world around them routinely shared their bed, but not their board. Christians did the opposite. The writer of Hebrews says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. And the reason is, says the writer of Hebrews, you might entertain an angel without knowing it, and I find that fascinating. Every knock on the door, maybe. 1 Peter 4 verse 9, we read, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, and in Acts 18, Priscilla and Aquila invited Apollos into their home and explain the way of God more adequately. And when you're there, inviting somebody into your space, you don't have to go all didactic or preachy or mansplaining. But you want the conversation. And so I think, fourthly, you'll learn the art of, of questions that arise from a genuinely, curiously loving heart. Not thinking to yourself as the conversation goes on, what will my next question be, you know, and therefore not listening to what people are saying. But as people talk, if you're genuinely curious, you'll know what to ask next. You know, why do you think that thought, or why is that 
important to you. I love the lens of reading the Gospels through the questions that Jesus asks of people. Listen to some of these questions that Jesus asks. Listen. Why do you worry about your clothes? Why do you worry so much? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Do you still not understand? Are you so dull? What do you want me to do for you? Could you not keep watch with me for one hour? Who touched my clothes? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Great questions. Or Jesus to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? But you'll also want to explain the gospel too. You'll want to account for the hope that you have. You'll want to say something like, I can't, but Christ can. Pretty simple, really. I'm a sinner. He's a great saviour. The beauty of grace. (laughs) The power of a substantial hope, not just wishful thinking. You want to declare at some point that there is one Lord, not a politician you have to negotiate with or a dictator to placate or a celebrity to, to fawn over. Now, there's one Lord, his name is Jesus Christ, and he rose from the dead as Lord of all. And finally, you want to challenge. You want to actually say, repent and believe, um, but in the right time, of course. So how is the spirit formed within? In the end, none of this will come because of fear or anxiety. Uh, it doesn't even come by hard work in the end. All of life is of grace, grace shown in relationships through community, with good habits, and over time. You see, Jesus came to bring the good news of the kingdom of God, and as far as Jesus was concerned, the kingdom of God was his banquet, a table to be at, to not decline the invitation to be at the table, and those whom God invites to this feast and those who accept the invitation have not prepared the banquet, they have not set the table, they have not cooked the fare, They're simply invited to join in the generosity of the host. It's all of grace. So come and receive that which you've not earned. Forgiveness before a holy God, joy in a complex world, and hope. If you want to know what Christianity is about, don't think of it as a set of rules. Don't think of strict people ruining everyone's fun and wagging fingers. Don't think of it as halos or chapels or or books to read. Think of being Christian as being an invitation to the great and ultimate banquet, long tables, food, music, celebration of sinners who return, lost sons, prodigal sons who come to their senses. Think of the best meal you've ever eaten and don't just double it or triple it. The feast that God has prepared is infinitely better than any and all of the meals that you've had. Be at the table, therefore, accept the invitation, and then live a life, a habit of sharing that table with others. Let's pray.